Hey everybody, we have a great show for you today, including previewing all the debates, an 11th hour Brexit development, and we hear from Hunter Biden himself. That along with an interview about campaign poster design with uh, uh, an amazing person, man. I love talking to her. Her name is Susan Miriam. She is from the Center for American Politics and Design. Uh, Do me a favor. Even if you're not on Twitter, I need you to go ahead on over to twitter.com slash Justin R. Young. Sticky post right there at the top of my page. We'll have a, a, a thread of all the designs that we are talking about so you can visually see them. I know this was a bold choice for me to talk about design in an audio medium, but if you want to go ahead and understand what we're talking about, that's where you go. Also, a fun little thing at the end of the podcast uh, I, I finally got the recordings from Dragon Con at the end of the summer. I did a little thing that I've been doing at live shows called improvwars.com. That is where people can uh, write suggestions, and I do a improvised Alex Jones rant. So I'm going to put that at the end of the show as well. And with that, thanks to the folks who support us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, we begin. Politics, politics. Welcome, friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. Uh, uh, we, we got some news here for you. First things first, let's go ahead and break down these debates that are happening tonight. If you are listening to this on Tuesday afternoon, then please come on and join me on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Justin R. Young, where I will be watching these debates live as they happen. Breaking them down, chopping them up. I'm only doing the first two hours. Because you want to know what? Number one, I have another show that I need to get to. But also, I'm boycotting the third hour. Like, look, this is the third hour is only there so CNN can sell two more ad slots. Uh, all the candidates are tired. You don't get great questions. It, it's just useless. Because nobody really wants to make a mistake. They've already kind of exp- expended their energy. They've probably already gotten out their, uh, their 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 big punches that they need to hit. They're just trying to wait and not screw up so they can do their closing statement, which, which they spent a lot of time rehearsing. That's it. That's the only reason for the third hour. All right, I got three predictions for you. Here's the first. Number one, Tulsi Gabbard goes full network. She wants you to go to your window, open it, Say I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Tulsa Gabbard almost didn't show up to this, or at least that's what she said. She was always going to show up. And so considering the fact that by the numbers, it's unlikely she's going to qualify for any more debates going forward. I think this is going to be her time to criticize, as she has in other media appearances and on her Twitter the DNC, the fact that these debate restrictions are ridiculous, that they're trying to hijack the election again. This time it is using the 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 debates uh, uh, to take the choice out of the hands of primary voters. What Tulsi wants is to be able to go to Iowa and lose. Well, I mean, I guess what she wants is to win, but she's not going to win. So she basically is saying, all right, they're they're forcing me off the stage before you the Democratic primary voter can can have any kind of a say. And I believe she's going to get up on stage and say exactly that. All right. Prediction number two. Prediction number two. I believe I've had, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I've, I've had more Yang predictions because I believe that Yang sees this slightly different than than the other candidates. Where other candidates see, all right, I have a strategic lane where I can attack somebody. Otherwise, I want to uh, continue to reinforce my key uh, focuses of, of the campaign right now, and I want to move on. Yang looks at this as, okay, I'm a one-issue candidate effectively. Like, until he breaks into the mid-teens, 
you know, I mean, hell, until he breaks into double digits, he is living and dying on what people think about universal basic income. And he can do that in his opening statement. Like, he doesn't need to make everything about universal basic income, but as long as he gets up on stage and he reinforces a strange new idea to the voters, then he's pretty much done his job. Other than that, what Andrew Yang wants to do is to uh, stand out. So here's how I think he's going to stand out this time. He, He teased it a little bit on his Twitter, but by his notes, in every single one of these debates... He's gotten a question about China. Now, considering the fact that he's gotten less questions than some of the other candidates, that means a higher percentage of the questions have been about China. Why does that matter? Because he's the only candidate up on stage born of Taiwanese immigrants. Now, he'll probably get one tonight because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the news has been rife lately with talks about different areas of the Chinese empire. Taiwan obviously has a very complicated relationship with China. So does Hong Kong. Hong Kong's in the news. Now, here's what here's the prediction. I believe that Andrew Yang is going to point out to the questioner that, you know, isn't it kind of weird that I just keep getting these Chinese questions? I think it's a ready-made viral moment, and I think he's going to exploit it. He's going to stand out. Here's the big one. Here's number three. And I've gotten this kind of prediction wrong in all of the debates thus far. I have always fallen for the okie doke. Last debate in Houston, Joe Biden's team leaked out that he was going to attack Elizabeth Warren. He didn't. He attacked Bernie. A couple days ago, Bernie made clear that he's not Elizabeth Warren. Warren's a capitalist down to her bones. He's not. So you might think that Bernie would attack Warren. I don't think he's going to. I believe that Bernie Sanders, more aggressively than he has done in the past, will attack Joe Biden. It, it accomplishes a couple things for Bernie. Number one, it shows that he has fight and he needs to show that he has fight in this debate because he's the only one fresh out of the hospital. If he does not look vital, if he looks low energy, that's a big, big, big problem for Bernie. Number two, he really kind of needs to be part of the reason why Biden disintegrates. Now, I don't know if he's going to go full what was Hunter doing in the Ukraine. But I do believe he is going to attack Joe Biden. Those are my three predictions. Tulsi makes this about the system man. Yang points out the fact that all he's getting is China questions. And Bernie attacks Biden. Speaking of Biden. Hmm, boy. Hunter Biden has surfaced. He gave an interview to ABC News. Let's listen in. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. Why did you leave the board in April? It's a five-year term. And you chose and not to I chose continue. not to. Yeah. Why? I think it's pretty obvious why. This is your opportunity to say why. Well, because I think that it's become, this is what becomes a distraction because I have to sit here and answer these questions. And so that's why I've committed that I won't serve on any boards or I won't work um, uh, directly for any foreign entities when my dad becomes president. Do you think that should be a rule across the board for any administration? No, look, that's the rule that I'm going to adhere to. Do you regret being on the board to begin with? No, I don't regret being on the board. What I regret is not taking into account that there would be a Rudy Giuliani um, and a um, and a president of the United States that would be listening to this this ridiculous conspiracy idea, which has again been completely debunked by everyone. And you know, I think we people are, at home are, are thinking, how could that not have crossed your mind, or you wouldn't have felt just a little bit in your gut, like. Maybe this isn't a good idea to go and sit on the board of this well, Ukrainian company. I said to you, I said to you, in retrospect, I wish right, that my judgment. Right, but at the time, you never, it never, you never thought, 
this might not look right. You know what? I'm a human. You know what? Did I make a mistake? Well, maybe in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. But did I make a mistake based upon some unethical lapse? Absolutely not. This is one of those dual reality situations. Because I think that the Biden camp will hear this as, all right, look, you wanted your pound of flesh. You wanted Hunter to talk. Hunter's talking, okay? He said he he's, he's leaving it. Maybe he regrets it. But really, he regrets the fact that there's this... I mean, he didn't say the word witch hunt, but he kind of meant the word witch hunt, right? I'm making witch hunt one word. And meanwhile, the right is going to listen to that and say, yeah, you want to know what? You 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 only regret the fact that there's somebody that's going to look after this kind of stuff. Either way, you can tell just even in the combative nature that he has in that interview, there's a reason why the the Bidens didn't put him on television sooner than this he is a liability for that campaign he already has been a liability for that campaign and the more he gets out there the more of a liability he's going to be i would not be shocked if if the biden campaign looked at putting him on television as an absolute last resort break glass in case scenario which tells you a little bit about where they see their campaign right now because otherwise, why not put them on the day after all this stuff breaks? It's not like you're going to be hurting for friendly news outlets. All right, some news across the pond. This from Yahoo. EU-UK negotiators closing in on a draft deal for Brexit. The lead UK and European negotiators are closing in on a draft Brexit deal amid optimism that there could be a breakthrough before the end of Tuesday, two EU officials said. They cautioned that talks haven't yet finished and there could be problems hitting the midnight deadline. But there are clear signs that a legal text is close to being ready. The aim would be to present the draft to national delegations on Wednesday morning, an EU uh, diplomat said. On the news, the pound surged, climbing as much as 1.2%, the highest level that it had been in four months. Well, I don't know the intellectual equivalent of a pile of warm spit about Brexit. So I had to text my boy Tom, our Brexit correspondent. It's time for a surprise text from Tom. Here's what Tom says. Seems like Boris has got the Euros to compromise, which was his big gamble and required a no-deal threat. But now the Euros want Boris to give them something. That's how I interpret the rhetoric of we have to preserve the EU market and UK can't benefit from the market but not be part of it. That seems fraught with peril. Also, I don't see how this gets done, even if it can get done without a delay. It's too much to vet. So if this becomes a deal, how does Boris handle the we are leaving on October 31st uh, possibly he could use the Ben Act to blame Parliament. Not sure on that. For me, though, it's gone from that looks impossible to that looks really hard. So I guess that's progress. But a deal requires Boris to give up something, and he doesn't seem to like to do that. This is the crux to me from the BBC. Mr. Barnier said that there are still big disagreements about the inclusion of so-called level playing field provisions, sketching out the two sides' future trade relationship. These provisions would limit the UK's ability to diverge from the EU across a whole range of areas, including competition policy, employment rights, environmental standards, and state aid. The UK says loosening these conditions is vital if it's to have an independent trade policy, but the EU says the UK cannot have privilege access to the single market without following its rules as it would give them an unfair advantage. Thank you, Tom, for answering my text in such rich, voluminous, and well-written style whenever I bug you for Brexit news. And with that, let's go ahead and get into our interview. This is Susan Miriam. She spoke with us on behalf of the Center of American Politics and Design, of which she is the co-founder. Had a great talk about campaign posters, how they come together, what they mean, including some of the current candidates. Hope you enjoy it. Politics. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. So nice to be on the phone with you. All right. So 
I think that we are in a very interesting phase for political design because I, I, I don't necessarily think that there was a lot of inventiveness in political design uh, uh, until fairly recently. But let's just start at the basics. Uh, what is good uh, uh, you know, design for something like this? Like for, for a political purpose, how do people just go about choosing fonts and colors and stuff like that? Well, obviously, it depends on the intention behind it. So whether you are trying to send a specific message with your logo or other design elements, or you're trying to use it functionally very well. For example, if you're talking about a presidential logo, this single piece of design is going to be on so many different things, whether it's a physical space, like at an event, on a banner, or on a website, on social it's going to be someone's going to try and make it into their own poster. You know, they have to really think about all the different ways that this can be translated in many different formats. So from sort of simple design perspective, designers have to think about how clear, simple it is, and how easily it can translate. Uh, but beyond that, you also are considering aspects about the context of what it's being used for. So when you're talking about politics, you want someone to be pleasantly reminded of it as they see it on a lawn sign or something like that and think, oh, I want to vote for that person. Or that reminds me about the qualities of that candidate or something about them that is compelling enough to make you vote that direction. So it seems like with that in mind, then, the part of the reason why I think I've been so underwhelmed by presidential or any kind of like graphic design in politics for, for a while. I mean, I guess there's like some very distinctive stuff in the past that almost, uh, uh, I wonder whether or not some of that is just, you know, nostalgia made it great, but, uh, uh specifically through the eighties and nineties, it was just a lot of like block lettering, a lot of red, white, and everything was some version of red, white, and blue. I guess like the big decision was whether or not your dominant color would be blue or white. Uh, uh, and then there was red somewhere there, American flags. Uh, 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 am I wrong to say that a lot of the like eighties and nineties design was, was pretty, uh, sterile. No, I think, um, all of the eighties and nineties design, you could look at any of those logos in a Obviously, if you already know the candidate and what they've represented, you would say, oh, that's a Democrat or Republican. But honestly, they all look very similar in a way that you don't even notice the sort of differences between them all that much. Um, just, I think the other thing to keep in mind here is this is very much pre-internet for most of it. Yeah. I mean, going into 2000s, we'll get into that. But in talking about 80s and 90s, before people were looking at things in this era we have now where people are looking at every design, every aspect of these campaigns nationally, even internationally, um, seeing them on their screens, on their emails every day. So many of these cases, the campaigns and the branding of them weren't so buttoned up. They did not have design systems that are planned out so thoroughly as especially the presidential campaigns are now. I guess that's right and because many Really, you'd only be looking at like, all right, what is our logo going to go on? A banner when we give a stump speech and lawn signs. So if it looks good there, then who cares otherwise? Yeah, and I think the other thing is to keep in mind with it's still rooted in, especially even many of the congressional campaigns today, is the power of things like the mailing companies and the lawn sign maker companies, the button maker companies, all of those manufacturers and printers back in the day determined a lot of things like what type you could use or what, you know, oh. the different elements of different things. So sometimes, for example, you might have a logo that would be for one of the presidential candidates that you might see on posters, but that wasn't necessarily what was on their buttons or on their lawn signs. And it just wasn't consistent across how someone might see the campaign. And so that's something where you just have these vendors and they're with the parties and the parties are the ones that are spending the money. So you're just going to these vendors and the vendors are basically giving the campaigns. All right, here are your options. We got four different types and uh, you can either have an American flag or an eagle pick. 
Yeah, and even today, especially at the congressional level, many of the campaign's logos are designed by mailing companies and things like that. They get paid a little bit extra to redesign the logo for the campaign to make it a little bit better, um, more executable to be able to be printed and sent out. So, you know, not political campaigns are still nowhere near the same level that people focus on corporate branding in terms of all the details. You know, it's not as much very little money is put into it comparatively, you know, all those things that even though, you know, maybe this is even more important than trying to buy your local, you know, your fashion brand or some of these other things, their design is not, the level of focus on design is not placed at nearly the same level. All right. So, so give us some basic guidelines for the uh, design blind among us who are, are listening. <laughs> what are some things to look at that would give us a more critical eye toward how the message of a campaign or candidate comes through via the graphic design? Sure. So obviously you can break down logos by design elements and there's technical aspects of how close are fonts and individual letters close together in the relationship between different typefaces, the proportion, what's the hierarchy of information. Those are all very technical elements and many political campaigns and logos, uh, they, they struggle with some of these technical things because someone on the campaign ends up making it and you know things aren't aligned properly or the spacing is very strange. And these are things that maybe for the average person, you might just think it looks a little weird. You might not say, oh, the kerning on that is off. But these are sort of design technical things. Then there's the context of the design elements and choices. So, for example, if you're choosing a certain logo type, a certain font, it evokes certain things of the past potentially. So, for example, if you think about um, so Kamala Harris's campaign right now, they mm-hmm. intentionally chose a typeface to evoke Shirley Chisholm's campaign. That was an active choice on their part. The Warren's campaign uses a sort of new era style font. And maybe maybe everyone doesn't know the history of you know new era deal time period yeah. fonts. But they might say, oh, that, I, that looks like those posters I... I saw or I saw a picture of it in a history textbook or, you know, a lot of these things are subtle and sort of just built in over time in our brains and very subtle. So people, designers can think of things from both a literal standpoint is that I want to clearly reference something or I'm trying to just be in the vein of, and that will be subtle to a onlooker. And then there's obviously very specific choices of, so say you're talking about the political logos, whether we're talking about the, the slogan that goes with it, the relationship of say you have two names, who gets the, who gets the higher focus or larger type by larger larger type size or something like that. Um, why do you have an eagle versus a flag versus yeah. a torch and these kind of uh, iconography that's all associated with America? But subtly, some of these things are active choices. Sometimes a designer is just trying to put something together and have it look patriotic and, you know, get it out there so their campaign can do their launch. Some of these things are just practical. Some are very carefully considered. They're tested on multiple audiences. They have, you know, designers that are very famous working on them, but that there's a really big range from, you know, your local college student just pumping something out as opposed to, you know, a million dollar, branding agency doing the campaign for you and the graphics, I should say. All right. So we're going to get into some specific designs, a few of which you just mentioned, but before we do, is there an inflection point for you as to when designs start to get a little bit more complex and interesting? Um, I don't know if there's an inflection point. I mean, I frankly, I find, uh, logos that are not very done very well, very interesting as well, but for different <laughs> reasons, because yeah. they're not very intentional. And so there's sort of a, you know, naive quality about them that's interesting. And someone's naturally making choices that you're saying, like, if someone designed that at a branding agency, well, they would not have made those choices. But clearly, something catches on. I think in that way, I find both, you know, very high level or, you know, say well paid for, well thought out design things, just as interesting sometimes as something uh, 
being not so well crafted. Do you, do you, do you, do you, have, um, do you have an example of, of one from the past? Something that you're like, I have no idea what you're doing here, but I'm really digging it. Um, well, there was one candidate, I'm, gonna, I'm struggling with his name. I think I want to say it's now Bandian. He was a, a candidate running for Congress for 2018. And he had this Facebook page that was absolutely incredible in terms of the level of graphics he was creating. And the logo that he decided to create was just, there was so much effort that was put in, but clearly very little sort of general <laughs> understanding of graphic design. Okay, so and I'm looking at it now. There's a lot going on on his website. There's a bear walking out of uh, an American flag. There's all aboard the Johnny Jet, and it is a bird that's also an airplane that is also the American flag. There's There's a lot happening here. Yeah, and I would say from, you know, among designers, we were researching all these logos and looking at each of the campaign sites and online presence and stuff when we were gathering them for 2018. And this was one that we all took a minute or 10 minutes and we're just going through the pages of, wow, so much effort was put into this. But, you know, what are the choices here? We almost wanted to create a little zine just because it was so capturing, I should say, or compelling in some ways. That is awesome. And, uh, and and definitely we will uh, uh, for everybody listening. Uh, don't worry, we will have a, a Twitter post up with all the links to all this stuff because I know it's definitely a, a real bold choice for me to do a podcast where it's all us looking at visual things. But uh, uh, we will do our best so you guys can follow along if you if you care for it. So I, I guess in my head, maybe this is just where the conversation started, but I don't remember a lot of conversation about political logos and design pre Obama. Now, that also kind of coincides, like you mentioned, with Twitter and the Internet and places where these kinds of conversations take root. But is there anything pre-Obama that you can remember as a, a big moment in political design? Well, I, I should say also I'm fairly young, so I was born uh, right at the very end of uh, Georgia Bush senior um so uh i should say in my lifetime uh, not the case but okay. from my understanding at least historically um uh i think some of the campaigns in the 70s uh we the carter with the green was very different than what was happening at the time there were some interesting things going on with bobby kennedy's branding uh he kind of did some interesting letter spacing that was definitely not typical and i think clearly playing around sort of but also design was being played around with a lot more too. So I think yeah. political design doesn't change quite as much as they would in the corporate world, but there are trends that go along and, you know, Carter was trying to be a candidate that was very different or outside of the norm. And so he tried to show that I think clearly by choosing green and the font itself, Cooper or something like that. Um, whereas I think in the nineties and eighties, there was, you know, the rise of very, corporate America, you know, very much in the middle of the road. It wasn't, it wasn't very much a populist movement. So the branding all sort of blended together in that way. All right. So let's get in. We have a couple signs here, a couple uh, logos that we're going to run through here. And I would just love your, your, your expert eye on it. So the first you kind of mentioned before is Kamala Harris, uh, a yellow <laughs> sign, purple, font or pur purple color for her name uh, uh Kamala Harris for the people for the people is in red so it's uh yellow background purple and red for the font w what do you see with this uh, you mentioned that this is uh, a, a nod to Shirley Chisholm's font but uh, uh is there <laughs> anything else that pops out to you yeah I mean obviously for a presidential logo using yellow red and purple is not typical um, I think also for the people is not typical either. So, you know, a lot of times you'll see for, for president, for America, the date, those kind of elements. And that was clearly a choice on, uh, wide eye co is the agency behind that one. Um, and so they very clearly made the choice that for the people was connecting her to her past as a prosecutor. And I think that she actually chose that herself from what I understand. Um, but clearly, in terms of you know, specific design details, they were looking for things to be a little bit outside the norm, a different sort of candidate, 
I think obviously the Shirley Chisholm reference representing a really strong black woman politician really connects to what she's trying to emanate or have as connect to her brand in that way. So all of those are very active choices and very deliberate to think about the context of something. Uh, I I really like this one. I know that it was off the 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 beaten path there, but I thought for her it it did a good job of being, you know, if, if it seemed like a poster and a design choice that was there from the idea of like, okay, a big problem for us in the primaries is going to be her as a prosecutor. So number one, how do we shape that as a positive for the people? How do we make that not scary? Have a very casual art design. <laughs> like it is, it is almost like it, it has like a like a seventies sitcommy kind of uh, uh, mood to it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, some people will say some people have had mixed views on this, and they say, "Oh, it kind of looks too seventies. It looks like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt TV show or something yeah. like that." But I, I personally also agree that it kind of makes that a little bit more subtle and straightforward and you know, talking about being a prosecutor, but in a way where it's not, you know, for crime or, or against crime. (laughs) It it does not Um, not take a stand, the pro crime stance. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not what I intended to say. Um, But, you know, but compared to, you know, what people were talking about in the nineties about, uh, you know, being against war on crime kind of stuff. Yeah. uh, yeah. Obviously trying to have a different view on that. All right, Susan, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, now that we're like halfway through the interview, I'm going to let you know that this entire concept of me wanting to talk about presidential designs was literally so I could just get somebody with expertise so we could talk about this next one. Because I've been fascinated with it since he debuted his campaign. It's Cory Booker's uh, design here. It is just a, a Cory on... A stencil, a red stencil with the 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 Corey is in white, right? And then 2020 mm-hmm. is blue with a black lettering for 2020. I have no idea what's going on with this font. I have no idea what's going on here. I've asked all my friends who are in the the, the design world what they think of it. No one's able to give me a, a, a an answer, and which is rare for design friends because they always have an opinion about everything. Tell, <laughs> tell me what you see when you see this Corey 2020 logo. Ah, well, I, I should say that for us, we actually really enjoyed it at CAPD. This was what our this was our favorite. We okay. individually looked at each logo from the current campaigns and said, oh, which one in the end do we actually really like? Um, we liked this one because it was very subtle, uh, obviously aligns with the sort of red, white, and blue presidential logo history, that kind of aspect. But it does it, it kind of is very subtle. But the the font they chose, um, I think it's Conductor or something or other, uh, it's the logo type itself is a reference to sort of signage. It looks a little bit hand-drawn. And I think the element of it kind of looks like it could be from like an activist poster or something like that. I mean, you know, like the Y isn't perfectly symmetrical yeah. and the, you know, all the ends aren't perfect, but still very bold, clear. I think the version of this logo that's better is when the quarry is stacked on top of the 2020, as opposed to when the quarry is right next to it. I think that's much more effective because then you also have quarry is four letters and 2020 is four letters. And so they align well, um, that balances. I, I, I guess I, um, it, it just like, especially compared to some of the other ones that we're going to talk about it, this is the most, I guess the, 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 the thing that sort of breaks my brain and the reason why I'm fascinated with it is that you're mm-hmm. right. It does stack up C O R Y two zero two zero. And that's kind of very symmetrical, but the, the, the font is just something that you don't normally see. And that does look a little activisty. And it's like, I, I don't know. It's just like, uh, for, for whatever reason, I just look at it and my, my brain just splits in two. Yeah, I also think it's a subtle thing, but I think the use of black here also is interesting because that's not as typically used. Um, a lot of times it's just red, white, and blue. Yeah. Um, it's a very tiny detail. But for example, if you look at, uh, did you look at the Weld, Bill Weld's 2020 logo, um, also is Weld 2020, and is using just a much more generic font. And you can see, even though in theory they're very similar, they're four letters over 2020, 
there's just a very subtle design difference and she's wow, the yeah. type, the proportion of it. And also I, I want to say Tim Ryan's logo as well is, has, is <laughs> similar. Uh, yeah. So Tim Ryan also had this sort of red blue box thing when you have them next to each other as well. But in both cases, the Tim Ryan and the Bill Weld logos, it just comes across more generic. Um, whereas I think Corey's is just a little, has a little bit of subtlety, a little bit more character, um, which differentiates it and it embellishes it. I think but. Corey Booker, slightly more character than Bill Weld, is maybe the most true thing that's <laughs> ever been said on this podcast. So we will move on from there. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. I should say the Center for American Politics and Design is nonpartisan. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no. Any any stray sniping done against Cory Booker and Bill Weld are totally <laughs> the opinion of Justin Robert Young, the host of Politics, Politics, Politics. So uh, Elizabeth Warren, I think, might have the 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 cleanest design of of the stuff that we've seen. Although we'll get to 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 somebody else that I think is is you know kind of in that neighborhood. But this is something that I think she didn't really change uh, a lot of the design from when she ran for Senate. Uh, either the first or the second time, but this is this is uh, uh, I, I guess the most interesting thing to me is is the color choices that Elizabeth Warren has, which is a various uh, versions of of kind of a very muted blue, a darker blue, and white. Well, I guess with with red text for the for the uh, URL. Yeah, you're forgetting the Liberty Green. Oh, the Liberty but, uh... Green. Sorry, <laughs> but she. Uh... Yeah, I think the thing here is this logo to me didn't it didn't really wasn't a very big risk taker. No. Um, I don't think there's anything you know technically wrong with it. It's fine. It's a little bit different because it doesn't use the red, white, and blue. The font is you know more condensed, a little bit taller. Um, Warren is a very obviously her name is very straightforward. Um, you know, there's not much, there's not too many things that you could almost critique in some ways because it's not like you've got a lot of other exterior information. You're, it's just a line underneath. It, there's not too many aspects where, for example, you can't, there's not another line of text where something doesn't align. Um, but in that way, I think there's positives and negatives to that. So on the positive side, when you have something so simple, it makes it easier for them to use the campaign in different places, that kind of thing. And they don't have things conflicting with it. Um, on the other hand, it also can be somewhat forgotten because it's not all that unique either. Um, or, you know, you're not like, oh, I'll remember, for example, you know, Jay Inslee's out of the race, but I promise you I will never forget his <laughs> sort of 90s era style logo. Oh, this is for, for this better is or worse. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. No, it looks like uh uh, uh like 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 like, a, like an ISP you'd get in like '93. Like it looks like a, a company that Prodigy would have bought. You know, in in, in yeah. 1987. I don't think it helped his campaign. I don't think that design takes down a campaign, but I think in this case. It, Definitely wasn't helping. No, no, absolutely. Uh, and and considering the fact that he is out of the race, that probably uh, uh, speaks to it. Now, there there was, I mean, Kirsten Gillibrand uh, was somebody that that used pink in her posters. Obviously, we have a record number of female candidates running, and design mm -hmm. is a place where sometimes you can subtly address elements of that. You didn't really see. I think a, a lot of necessarily feminine, uh, you know, outwardly feminine elements to the Kamala Harris poster. Although I guess, I don't know, maybe purple, but uh, Warren eschewing any kind of, you know, out and out, like, oh, here's a pink font, uh, uh, but I guess a very <laughs> pleasing Liberty green, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, so I come from a more corporate branding world to begin with. And, you know, we have conversations all the time about, oh, does this look feminine? Is it feminine enough? Should it, you know, how do you define these things in terms of design elements and that kind of thing? Uh, you know, I, I'm personally of the mind that things can be feminine without being pink and purple. Um, but I, I do think it's also very much a choice. Like for the Gilbrand campaign, clearly they were, you know, all of her outward communication was talking about her being a candidate for women putting women in the military, all these different narratives. And so, you know, by choosing hot pink yeah. um, and like a very nice, 
you know, navy or black, um, clearly was a choice on their campaign's part to signal that and try and embrace that as a way to attract voters, I guess. All right. Well, here we go. Now, now we're really stepping up here because mm -hmm. we're going to talk about Marianne Williamson's design. <laughs> uh, I mean, talk about a fascination of mine, the Marianne Williamson uh, uh, d decisions on logos. So just to describe it for everybody, it is, mm -hmm. I mean, either dark. I mean, maybe my, I'm colorblind here, but it looks either very dark purple or very dark blue, somewhere on that spectrum. And then yeah. big Marianne, no Williamson, just Marianne, all caps. And then next mm -hmm. to it, it, with about the footprint of one of the letters, is a 2020 stacked on top of each other. So it looks like 20 and then return 20. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. The 2020 is in pink. Explain to me what's happening. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm not totally sure about some of these decisions either. Um, I think mean, what it looks like to me is they chose a sort of very bold Proxima Nova type typeface and obviously very bold about Marianne. They have to introduce her, obviously, as a new candidate. Um, and then the 2020, I think, clearly in order to sort of talk about the campaign or have that sort of accentuation to make it seem a little bit more political was choice. But I think they had to make the 2020 a much bolder typeface in order to balance with the type that they were already using. So, for example, if 2020 had been a smaller, a thinner typeface, it would have sort of faded away. So I think they had to make it sort of extra bold in order to try and balance with the Marianne plus in pink. So as you can see, the or I should say, as you as you hear and then can look up later. Yes. Um, on a podcast, uh, <laughs> the Marianne because it's this ultraviolet navy dark blue, uh, dark purple color is very bold and dark. And so in order for the pink to balance it out, it needs to be very hefty. Um, yes. No. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, the pink and purple was a choice, probably similar ideas as the Gillibrand campaign in terms of she's a woman, she's, you know, new to the field, she's introducing herself as, hi, I'm Marianne, she's someone that talks about kind of welcoming everyone, you know, peace is what we should be heading for, all these things. And so sometimes making a choice, for example, about first name versus last name is a important decision for a presidential logo. And so in this case, clearly she went first name. Uh, women are statistically more likely to choose a first name than uh, men are more likely to choose the last name in most cases. Um, and sort of like a neighborly, friendly vibe, like, hi, I'm Marianne, <laughs> um, as opposed to Williamson, I guess. Uh, have you seen her button? The Marianne Williamson uh, button. The U.S. Uh, Department of Peace button, that one, uh, or I, her, or her MW twenty twenty one. No, I've seen a couple. This is the one that is predominantly, and by that I mean eighty percent, just a pencil drawing of her face. Ah, uh, I'm looking it up really quickly. Uh, in fact, um, I am going to email it to you right now because uh, I was hoping that we could get your initial reaction. Uh, let's see if I got your email correct. Uh, but yeah, go over ahead there to your email. But this was, I wound up getting a gigantic drop of like everybody's posters and, and yard signs from a buddy of mine that went to the Iowa State Fair. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would love to be out there and grabbing stuff personally. Oh yeah, okay. I did see a picture of this earlier today. Okay. Uh, but I can say honestly, have not contemplated it very far. <laughs> <laughs> really. um, I mean, not to pass judgment on a, on the campaign itself, but yeah. this to me seems like someone that's trying to you know get their name out there or bump themselves up in this kind of badge kind of speaks to that you know it's like this is who you're looking for you're looking for this woman it's in this and it looks like some sort of watercolor illustration of her yeah. um just her face uh I mean, they, Marianne they, 2020 it really you know, makes other yeah because because it makes the decision to have the 2020 so small 
just a, a little <laughs> bit more puzzling as it just evaporates against this white background. I was, I mean, it it is one of I will treasure it forever. Uh, uh, this this is just just an amazing piece of political iconography, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely not the first uh, campaign to have a badge with her face on it by any means. Sure. Um, but, you know, in many other cases, you look at other candidates, they'll have badges that'll say, you know, caring about health care or yeah. um, and right now it's just talking about the Democratic side, but, um, you know, talk about other sort of values or things like that on their logos and um or you know, was it like Hillary's campaign was "I'm with her"? Yeah. So there's sort of you know other taglines and things like that. I think it's less common to just see people with pins with someone's face on them. Well, especially because it's a very striking edition. watercolor, right? Yeah, it's, it looks like a very pretty illustration. It's yeah, looks great. I guess that's um, <laughs> that's the thing that was odd about it is that it, it, it's not you know to to give it its due. It, it's it's a very like it looks like something that would be you know, the, the dominant image in like a magazine profile or something like that. Like, like you would almost like want to wrap a whole design around an image like that. And yet here it is on a button being handed out of the Iowa state fair amongst a bunch of fried butter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or, you know, illustration in the book as well, you know, yeah. um, you could see that, see that like an inside cover or something like that to talk about the author. <laughs> something like that. All right. We're going to wrap up with the, the Joe Biden logos here and and before we get to that let, let's talk a little bit because i think the most agitated i've ever seen design politics twitter was the hillary clinton logo the initial <laughs> unveiling of it that was maybe the most yeah. the most fired up i've i've seen it uh, you know down to the fact that the that it was a forward but it was a right pointing red arrow which you know was <laughs> was read into uh, so I, I think there has been just this very interesting mantle post Obama that now it matters that a big ticket Democratic candidate needs to have well thought out or at least and this is where I think Joe Biden kind of goes uh, a clean and inoffensive design, just complex enough that it's <laughs> like, oh, that looks like. You know, work was put into it, but no one's going to do a 50 uh, a tweet thread about why this is uh, occurring the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, post Obama, I mean, there's across the spectrum in terms of presidential candidates, but also down to, you know, your local mayor's race, the sort of influence of Gotham and sort of Gotham like fonts like Biden uses here is say it filtrates through the market if they were talking about it in a corporate world um it's all over the place and that's simple it's clear it's easy to read those kind of things you have to really bold red and blue like you would see in traditional presidential logos from the 80s 90s 2000s um and that way i yes i think probably the campaign was trying to avoid you know i'm sure the least thing that a campaign wants to do on the first week of announcing that they're running is have everyone just talk about how they hate their logo <laughs> you know they want to talk about <laughs> what the candidate can do for you or you know how the polls jump up i think that you don't want to spend the whole time talking about the relationship of the letters um in this <laughs> visual image uh so yes i'm sure the buying campaign was very aware of hillary and that experience and i'm sure also you know, I think they also probably made choices like they chose to focus on Biden when it comes to the sort of main logo. And then they had the Joe logo for social and things like that. Yeah. Um, rather than, you know, I think it would have been too close to an Obama Hillary thing if you had like a big B or something like that <laughs> or big yeah. J. Or you just could have done uh, Joe uh, and just left the Obama logo in the center of it. And and, and that I think would have gotten across <laughs> with all the subtlety that Biden has, uh, the fact that he was the vice president to Barack Obama. Yeah. Uh, but but just for um, everybody who's, uh, again, listening to us describe this, the, the big flourish here in the Biden logo is that the E is not connected on on the, the the back of the e so it's just the three prongs that in when you look at it it makes it look like the between the d and the e it's like a very weird american flag although it, that would almost look more like the puerto rican flag maybe uh or, or the ohio state <laughs> flag uh than, than the american flag but i mean that's that's what they're going for is that this is like an american flag e yeah, I mean, clearly they were going for uh, American stripes, I think it's fair to say. I mean, people still had a fairly 
strong opinion about this online as well, actually. Um, there's a Bulwark article that I think was talking about like how much of an atrocity um, <laughs> this logo is. <laughs> so, so, you know, you can't avoid it completely. Um, but, I, I, you know, what I actually think is more interesting about the, the Biden president logo is the choice of president, actually, even more than the, you know, the three stripes. Which yeah. Is very, like, you can see thousands probably over history of political logos with, you know, red and white stripes. Uh, but I, I think that that was such a sort of bold choice on their point. You know, they could have said Biden for America, you know, Biden 2020, all those things that they clearly were like, we're going to point out in our logo that he's the, I mean, maybe not to say the front runner, but at the very least, like, you know, coming after Obama is his, was his VP. Like this is his sort of place in the race kind of yeah. thing. That was clearly a choice on their part. Um, so yeah, to, to just to say, to state, I mean, it's almost like, like the, like the, 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 the secret they're like speaking their dreams into the world. So they might come reality. Yeah. That kind of thing. Biden I mean, what are you going to say? Sorry? Oh no, I just said, yeah, just Biden president. Like if we just say president enough, eventually we'll wake up in the overall. <laughs> yeah. It'll, it'll be subtle enough to say this is the case. And now, you know, maybe you'll, you'll <laughs> subtly in your brain, it'll just get absolved together or something like that. Uh, yeah. I think the the Joe 2020 icon logo that they used on social got even more criticism because of thing, more technical things like the curve on the J doesn't align well with the the angle on the 2020. Mm. Um, in this case, the because you don't have the N that sort of stops the stripes in the Biden, the E on the Joe kind of just extends into nowhere to the fact that the the blue color pops forward and a lot of people online were making jokes about you know j-o joe for president was like a woman um oh and joe is joe is being propelled short hair yeah just being propelled forward by these speed lines behind her yeah so uh that that sort of got a lot of memes online uh that kind of thing uh well this is awesome. Thank you so, so, so much for, 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 for taking time out of your day to, to, to talk me through these because I think uh, a lot of people that, that you know, you see a lot of them. But I guess, like, that is the thing now is that, that there are some interesting choices being made and, and uh, uh, we appreciate you walking us through them. Of course. I'm very glad to chat today. Absolutely. Well, uh, uh, Susan Miriam is the co-founder of the Center for American Politics and Design. If folks want to follow you online, where can they do that? Well, they can look at our website, uh, www.politicsanddesign.com, um, which is it's very fun to play around with our website. Also, we have a Twitter, so politics, in this case, it's N design instead of and written out because apparently you can't have really long names on Twitter. No. Um, but yeah, you can definitely follow that and we're always trying to engage with candidates that have recently announced and look at, you know, what else, what's happening in this space. So from oh. your local race to the presidential race, it's very fun. Especially this is it's great. a fun way to be aware of what's going on in the campaign without, you know, maybe following everything out there. You know, if you're a designer, it's fun. So. Wow. You know, and, and I had, I had not, uh, uh, been aware of your site and or I've not been to your site shamefully until literally right now and it's like my favorite site in the world it just literally gets right to the point here's just all these president or uh, political uh, designs right there no messing about they're just there in your face awesome. <laughs> yep you can't get away from them oh well and I wouldn't want to lawn signs around America you won't get away from them either so. <laughs> I know especially next year uh, uh, well thank you thank you again so much for, for, for joining us here on the show of course thank you so much for inviting me alright one last thing before we go this is from the Dragon Con convention in Atlanta Georgia on Labor Day been doing it for years and years but I've only done the politics stuff there a few years this is the second time I think I've ended with this bit. It's called ImprovWars.com. It's me doing the Alex Jones impression, but I have audience members submit random nouns, and I string together the most lunatic Alex Jones-esque conspiracy that I can 
from those nouns. So if you hear the crowd laugh, uh, it's because I'm holding up the piece of paper and then revealing what the noun is. Also, heads up, there's a little bit more ribald kind of stuff mentioned in here. I don't think there's any four-letter words, but uh, uh, certainly some more mature themes. So this is the last thing that goes into the credits, so you're not missing anything else if you just uh, end the podcast here. Without further ado, improvwars.com. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm going to tell you right now is something that I just found out. <laughs> oh my God, I've been getting, I've been getting many emails, man. I've been, I've been looking. I've been in my, I've been looking on TikTok. I've been looking on. <laughs> all these things are programming our children's minds, man. They're, they're, this is all, this is all coming together. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now exactly, exactly what message I just got in. This is going to tip the scales, folks. We are now at DEFCON Zero because of Godzilla. <laughs> Japanese have been hiding Godzilla. Godzilla's been in the sea. He's been down there. If you don't believe, come on, folks. You really believe that there's a gigantic ocean out here? We got a whole mound of trash, a continent full of trash, and there ain't a Godzilla. Come on. <laughs> folks, that's what they want to tell you. That's what they want to tell you. They want to hide Godzilla from you. Godzilla's the king of the monsters! He's a righteous protector! If these liberals, Hillary Clinton, Huma Abedin had their way, well, they would, they would have Mothra running all through our skulls! Godzilla's here for us! Godzilla is a beautiful human! Yeah, I called him human! These are the divisions that they put in our way! God, I'm so sorry. Just been working out a lot. Been eating a lot of stir fry. <laughs> I like to put, I like to put my stir fry just right, right up, right up on the top, just to get, just to let me know, focus my mind. Folks, you can go ahead and get pencil lead <laughs> at our store, infowars.com/store. Go ahead and get. Patriot pencil lead. <laughs> this is the same pencil lead that they wrote the Constitution with, or they would have. Or they would have if they wouldn't have taken it away from them. The British and the, and the, and the Japanese keeping Godzilla and pencils from us. If I were to think of one thing that freedom would be defined by, it would be Godzilla with a pencil over his ear. <laughs> Ready to bring safety and freedom to everybody. I know I, I but yeah, people don't want me, even, even people in my office, man, they're like, hey, don't, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Now, I know, I know, I should. I will, I can't. I can't help but tell you the truth of Apple computers. <laughs> Have y'all seen these animojis? <laughs> they're taking people they're making them into other things. Next thing you know, oh, oh, a uh, wholesome moment. Wholesome moment. Grandma's calling. Grandma wants to talk. Oh, wait, hold on. Is it her son? Is it her grandson? No, it's a dog. <laughs> this is what they're trying to do. This is what they're trying to do. First, they take away Godzilla. Then they take away the pencils. Next thing you know, your grandchild's a dog looking to lick you right in the face. <laughs> I'm not gonna stand for it, folks. I'm not, I'm not gonna stand for it. There's only one thing that can stand in the way of what we have in, in store. Folks, we need to renew the tree of liberty with the blood of tyrants. And the siren call that we will have is a real doll. <laughs> now I know some of y'all are like, Alex, I've been listening to you for over 50 years. <laughs> and you would seem like somebody that would really stroke it out on a real dog. <laughs> and I'd say, you're damn right. <laughs> Folks, I, I really, I put a wear and tear on the real doll. I'm just so virile, an American man, the way they used to make them. I just got so much energy. 
I got so much energy. My wife at a certain point's like, no, Alex, no. <laughs> know what I gotta do? Real doll. That's why you can go to infowars.com <laughs> slash real doll. We got one of Betsy Ross. <laughs> it's motion activated. She sews a flag while you're putting it in. <laughs> But there's one thing in the height, in the height of climax when I'm with my real doll, and I know we got Christian affiliates, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we have, I have to tell you this, but we are just now as men, everybody, hand-pecked. Nobody can say anything anymore. You can't speak truth anymore. You can't speak about God's love anymore. That's why in, in the height of climax, when I'm doing what God made us to do, which is have sex with a real doll, I scream this, France! <laughs> Know your history. <laughs> we would not have been the greatest country on earth if it were not for France. Watch Hamilton. <laughs> Rounding out our first segment, I just want to take a moment to talk about the syphilis virus. <laughs> it's really bad. But it's even worse when you combine it with poop. <laughs> this is how all these liberals want us to live. This is how they want us to live. They want us to be just like them. Syphilis and poop. Poop and syphilis. Hey man, did you go see poop last Friday? Yeah, syphilis was opening for them. That's what they want to say to you. Syphilis and poop, they want to teach you that. They want to teach your children that at their schools. They don't want prayer in school. They want syphilis in school <laughs> with a side of poop. There's only one thing that I have left to say. Because <laughs> folks, I just, get so, I just get so worked up. I just get so worked up. I just get so worked up. I just got to take my, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just get so worked up. I can't, I can't help it. I can't help it. I can't help but thinking about just these three words. These three words that keep going through my mind when I think about this country, when I think about where we are as humans, they're turning the fish gay. They're making, they're making Sears obsolete. They're driving cars with dogs in them. This is what they want. And I keep thinking in my mind, rock, meme, polar bear. <laughs> the rock, solid. The meme, a message for the people. The polar bear, ferocious. Now think about it. Think about it. Think about it backwards. Polar bear, up in the Arctic. What do they say? What do they want us to believe? They want us to believe that these polar bears are getting killed because of global warming. They want us to believe that they're up there dying. Oh, I'm a polar bear. <laughs> I can't go on. Now Antarctica is Cancun. False. We're breaking the programming now because it's a meme. Now I've made the sleepy polar bear meme. <laughs> You're thinking about it right now, aren't you? I'm just a regular guy. <laughs> Spreading a word like you guys can. Say it exactly like me and we'll all believe it. A sleepy polar bear. The meme for a generation. And yet, when it makes its way from you to your friend, to your uncle, to your babysitter. I don't, by the way, watch out for your babysitter with your uncle. 
you will know that this is solid, a solid meme, a meme to bring freedom to these United States and so many other places because at the same time that you think of this meme, sleepy polar bear, sleepy polar bear, sleepy polar bear. But wait, think about it in the way that we've been programmed by our corporate overlords trying to sell us their goods and services in consort with the Chicoms, Nancy Pelosi, the Build-A-Bear Conference. <laughs> you remember back to your childhood that you were getting sold a truck solid as a rock. We're co-opting it, we're breaking the signal. Sleepy polar bear. <laughs> So now I need you guys on three. On three, here we go. All in one uniting voice. We will have freedom in this country. We will have unity in this country. We will make our carbon overlords pay. Three, two, one. Sleepy Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>